That word of God which we consider this evening, we hear also from St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We pre Christ crucified, to the news of stumbling of the great foolishness of the call of those in Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. That, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. These are your words, Holy Father. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Amen. Today is Epiphany. Epiphany means manifestation or appearing or shining forth. The Feast of Epiphany celebrates the appearance of God in the flesh to the Gentiles. As Simeon called him, and we repeat every time we receive the Lord's Supper, a light to enlighten the Gentiles. A Gentile is someone who isn't a Jew, who isn't a physical descendant of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. Someone who comes from a nation to whom God had not sent prophets. And that is the real distinguishing distinction. One who doesn't have the word of God. One who ignores it. Our gospel lesson shows us and teaches us how the Magi from the East came to Bethlehem with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and worshipped Jesus when he was still a very young child. They worshipped him as the Son of God and as the universal Savior of sinners. Their gold acknowledged him as their divine king because gold is precious and given to royalty by foreign dignitaries. What else is given to foreign, by foreign dignitaries are treasures from their own land. Their frankincense also had significance because it acknowledged him as their mediator. Since frankincense is a sweet-smelling incense accompanying the sacrifices and prayers that priests offer to God in order to intercede for sinners. Their myrrh acknowledged him as the one who would suffer and die for them and rise again. Since myrrh is a spice used for burials to preserve the body from stinking, and Jesus' body would see no decay. Now, some of this symbolism is perhaps a bit speculative. Did the wise men know all of this? And how much did they know? We attribute meaning to each gift, even though the Bible doesn't specifically say so, but our speculation is close to being right, if not right on, since we know what these things generally symbolize in other places in Scripture and in Oriental culture in general. What we know for sure, though, is that the Magi had knowledge of who Jesus was and why he came. 
and its knowledge that they couldn't have gained without God having first made himself known to them. This is the theme of Epiphany. God reveals himself. He reveals himself in his word. By guiding these magi to Jesus, God showed that he had come to save all nations, and not just the people of Israel. God promised Abraham, in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The angel told the Jewish shepherds, I bring good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. We know that through the course of the Old Testament, many Gentiles were brought to faith. Ruth, for instance, was the great-grandmother of King David. Bathsheba was the mother of Solomon. Neither of them were born Jewish. But the significance of Epiphany is that no longer would being Jewish be the means by which Gentiles would become God's people. Now that Jesus was born, it would not be by means of a shadowy type, like circumcision and sacrifice, or who you married into, but by means of faith in Christ himself, who would finally join the flesh and blood of all human people ever born and yet to come. In order to enter into the covenant before Christ was born, you didn't have to be the flesh and blood of Abraham, but you had to become a Jew, one way or another. You had to become a Jew, because God didn't give his word to anyone else. But we don't have to become Jews anymore. Why? Because the oracles of God are given to you. We have to become Christians now. Not by means of circumcision, but by means of baptism. God is the justifier of all who have faith in Christ. We don't know how many magi there were who came and uh, we don't know much about them, actually, which is just fine, because what we do know, we're going to learn from Scripture. And what they knew that had any real value, they found in Scripture. And so they are a symbol of, of those who needed to find light in Scripture, and they serve as an example to us. They were scholars, we know this much, of ancient knowledge. And they were probably from Persia, wherever in the world that is, right? It's modern-day Iran, and this was the original cradle of civilization. But kingdoms fell, kingdoms rose. They were magi who studied the stars and looked for signs in the constellations and in the movements of planets. Magi were also well-learned in the arts and mysteries of many religions and were regarded as priests of sorts. They accumulated for themselves the wisdom and scholarship and both spiritual and natural insights of the most sophisticated nations that had ever come into contact with them. Today we might call them experts or scientists or something like that. In their quest for wisdom and in spiritual enlightenment and mental power, Wherever they could get it, the Magi would doubtlessly have been familiar with the best that Confucius had to offer from China, the best that Buddha had to offer from India, the best that Zoroastrians, it's a word I never say out loud, had to offer in Persia, the best that all the Greek philosophers had ever produced, or that the Arabian mystics had ever discovered in the desert, or and maybe even the druidic secrets and potions 
that had been discovered deep in the vast forests of northern Europe. And with all their gathered knowledge from around the world, because it all came flooding to this cradle of civilization, the Magi gained a reputation for their wisdom and even for their power and sorcery. And it is from the Magi that we get our word magic. But the Magi represents for us Midian and Ephah and Sheba, no more than they represent Germany and Africa and Wyoming. They represent all nations of simple folks, as well as all kings and princes of high station. They represent all who, despite their strengths and weaknesses, were all in the same darkness, even as whatever light they could possibly gather was magnetically attracted to them as the treasures of human wisdom flooded to where they did their learning. But they re represent all who live without God's word, which is a greater light, who by nature had no salvation from sin. In other words, the Magi represented the very best and varied efforts of the Gentiles to figure out the truth on earth and in heaven and how to use it all to their benefit. But all their wisdom, all the wisdom of the Gentile nations could gather, could not bring them any closer to the true God. We needed wisdom not to flood to the, civil, the cradle of civilization. We needed wisdom to make its home in the cradle of poverty, to make his home where God had promised he would make his home, to draw all nations to himself. In order to find the true God, the true God had to reveal himself. You might remember how Daniel, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived as Babylonian subjects, and later as subjects of the Persian Empire too, once the Persians conquered the Babylonians. They appeared to have been enlisted into the ranks of the Magi, where they were first brought from Judah into Babylonian captivity. And the Babylonians did this when they conquered nations in order to gain for themselves the best and brightest wisdom from whichever nation they conquered. And the Persians, while overtaking the political workings of those they conquered in war, would have retained this very precious plunder, the intellectual and mystic wisdom of whichever nation they conquered. So to conquer Babylon was great. But they would fall too, eventually, even as the Roman Empire now ruled the land of Canaan and propped up Herod as their king. It is from Daniel in particular, however, that the Oriental sages became aware of the prophecy of the king of the Jews. And so they watched the stars with this in mind. Now whether they knew the passage from Numbers 24, I see him, but not now I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Judah, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Which is the only prophecy of a star in relation to Christ's coming that we have in the Old Testament. Whether this is where they learned of a star to proclaim the Messiah's birth, or whether God came to them in a previous dream, we don't know. And I suppose it doesn't matter. What matters is that they came and that the prophecy was true. They came because God revealed to them the birth of Christ, and he reveals it to us too. 
It's extremely important to know this. Instead of relying on their accumulated wisdom, they relied on the revelation of God. And we must do the same. The treasures they brought to the newborn king, which they laid at his infant feet, represent the wealth of all their knowledge. They laid it at his, at his feet, even as they relied not on their wisdom, but upon what God had revealed. As David prophesied, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So while the nations raged and the peoples plotted a vain thing, as the same psalm begins at Psalm 2, as self-righteous religious people sought their own righteousness and opposed the only righteousness that avails before God, which is found solely in Christ, while the nations took counsel against the Lord God and against his Christ, as the same Psalm 2 continues, God, in his immense mercy and love toward all people, led these wise men to seek salvation in the babe of Bethlehem. God revealed himself in the sacred face of his beloved son, born of Mary and lying in a manger. And these men who forsook their own wisdom as representatives of all Gentiles laid the wealth of all the nations and the end of the earth before the baby Lord Jesus, God's Son and our King. And so we see Psalm 2 in some small measure fulfilled by these wise men, bringing the wealth of the nations to Jesus. They saw the star and followed it. They saw it in the east, so they went west. This is as far as the light of reason could bring them. Any idiot knows that if you want to hear what God has to say, you open a Bible, I suppose, or go to a church. That's as far as reason will bring you. They went to Jerusalem because it was the reasonable place to seek the king of the Jews. But Jesus was not in Jerusalem. Where their reason brought them was wrong, but what was in Jerusalem? The Bible was in Jerusalem. So we can be an idiot, as long as you're an idiot who knows where to find God's word. Because it is from the Bible, even though they learned it from people who couldn't care less about where the Bible directed them, it was from the Bible that the wise men learned where to go the little town of Judah out of which would come a ruler who would shepherd God's people. In Jerusalem, David lacked a man to sit on his throne. Herod was not David's descendant. God promised that this would never happen, that he would lack a man to sit on his throne. But in Bethlehem, David's son and Lord took his throne. As Jacob foretold, Blessing his son Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Shiloh means peace. And there in Bethlehem, the Magi who visited Jesus learned firsthand that God chose the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and that God chose the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and that God has chosen the base things of the world and the things which are despised, and the things that are not, to bring to shame the things that are. They learned what Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who stoned the prophets, refused to learn. 
They learned what made for their peace. Shiloh means peace. Shiloh had come. Peace on earth had come. And goodwill toward man. Glory to God on high had manifested itself by hiding underneath the form of a human child. This is what the Magi learned. They found the things that are foolish, the things that are weak, that are base and despised and nothing in the eyes of the world. They found all this in the little boy Jesus in the little town of Bethlehem. But like Bethlehem itself, Jesus was little, but not the least. For there was God in the flesh. They found God where no wisdom on earth would have looked for him. They found human flesh hiding divine glory and mercy that all the wisest of humanity did not try to look for because they were looking in the wrong place and by the wrong means. They were looking to be guided by wise men. But these wise men were taught by God to become fools and to be guided by the word of God. This is what is so amazing about the Magi. We know our call. We know that not many wise according to the flesh are called. Not many mighty or noble. These men were wise and mighty and noble. Renowned throughout the whole world. Possessing knowledge that the world has lost and will never regain. Even as science with a capital S seeks to control the world and usher in peace under their own terms. We see these magi called by God to abandon all this knowledge and to lay the accumulated treasures of humanity at the feet of Christ. They were wiser than we, mightier than we, more enduring, patient, and devoted than we. And they counted all of this as loss and rubbish compared to the knowledge of Christ Jesus. To find him who came to be their savior. They came to listen to the word of God. And having listened to it, they followed it. They followed what God's word pointed them to. What good was their wisdom and insight? They had the Bible. They had what made God's people, God's people. They had what was better than gold and incense and myrrh. They had the soul and center of all biblical promises fulfilled. What makes Gentiles Gentiles, what makes them dark and in the dark, is that they don't have the word of God. The Magi represent all nations. Their gift represents all earthly treasures. And they place them at the feet of their King and Savior. So this is how we find Christ too. We listen to the Word of God. We see the value of our earthly treasures. The value of our customs and traditions. And all the wisdom that we've gathered through our lives. And through the generations. We see the value of all that we have so cleverly figured out. And even from the greatest distance from heaven to hell, we inquire from Holy Scripture where we find what no wealth or smarts can gain. 
we find a savior. And so we also count all these things as loss for the great privilege of hearing God's word and worshiping Jesus. We need God not to count our sins against us. We need forgiveness and peace. We need what gold can't buy. We need death that stinks to high heaven and can't be covered by any incense. To be forgiven and to be covered and mediated by the blood of Christ. We need God to rule our hearts with mercy so that we might be unashamed to approach him and not be afraid of death ourselves. We need wisdom that can only be found in what the world dismisses as foolish. We need to seek not what the Gentiles seek, but rather the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God shows us where to find him where no man would ever have thought to look. God manifested himself to the Gentiles, that is, to those who weren't looking. And the sky held a single star that shone the way to a humble home with humble parents and a humble child. And it brought him to nothing special. But God's word made plain what was really there. And God's word makes plain what is really here. Offered to us by word and in the sacrament of his body and blood. What the world despises, what our soul needs, what the word of God made flesh kindly invites us to eat and drink for forgiveness and eternal life as a pledge of peace from God. What God says this is, what God says we are through faith in Jesus, this is all that matters. It's worth our time, our attention, all our money and gold and honor, and it attends us and preserves us as we make our own dangerous trek through temptations and through all the plans we have in life, through this world, from the deserts of earthly misery to the paradise of our Lord's heavenly home. Or where else are we headed? What else are we seeking to obtain? The wise men are wise. They could never have found Jesus had they not forsaken their wisdom and abandoned all their Gentile quests for God and learned instead to listen to God's word. And so we do today. Lay it all aside. You who are wise unto salvation, leave it all behind. Come to Jesus who has come to you. Bring him tokens of what you know and believe. The best you have. Confess that he is your king by devoting your wealth to the far greater value of hearing the gospel. Confess that he is your mediator and priest by praying always in his name, believing that for his sake your prayers are met with eager attention by your Father in heaven. Confess that his death is your life and that your own death is gain for you. Not by anointing Christ's body with myrrh, but by loving the body of Christ, Christ his dear saints who gather to hear his word. And so be wise unto salvation by clinging to this word, by finding in Jesus the good conscience you need to stand before God, the power you need to love one another, and the peace that you need to depart this world unafraid, knowing that the God who has entered this world has left the door open for us to return to him. And we find that door open in his holy word and where his gospel is preached. In Jesus' name, amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard our hearts and minds in Christ until eternal.